Um, so the last number of, I guess, months, there are some months now, we've been talking about the four foundations of mindfulness. And we've been going through a little bit systematically the four foundations, mindfulness of the body being the first foundation, and then mindfulness of Vedna. And the word Vedna, I like to use the Pali word because we don't have a word that correlates to Vedna, but it, um, the Vedna is, is being mindful of the pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant quality of any moment of experience. Whether it's a physical experience, an emotional experience, a mental experience, a spiritual experience, every moment is either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant, which for short term we call it neutral. And that's an important part of the four foundations of mindfulness. So that's the second foundation. So first foundation is the body. Uh, uh, second foundation is Vedna. Third foundation is mindfulness of mind. And mindfulness of mind um, in Buddhism and in the third foundation really includes both heart and mind. The word is chitta. And that word chitta can either be translated as mind or as heart because they didn't make the same division between heart and mind that we now, through our evolution or de-evolution, have made um, between heart and mind. And so the first three foundations, body, vedna, heart and mind. And then we started, we've been talking about the fourth foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of dharmas. And those are... Um, uh, constitute uh, certain frameworks or points of reference to be applied during your contemplation. And they're very you know, helpful because they point out what's difficult and more they help us start to pay attention to very fundamental components of human experience and then what happens that leads to awakening. And so, um, uh, let's see, we haven't gone into any of the schemes yet uh, that, uh, that the Buddha described, and I'll mention them, but we're going to go into them. But I, I just want to say something about meditation itself. Because um, I gave you, somebody came up and said, oh, you gave a little different instruction tonight. I did, I gave a different instruction. Usually. Usually I give some instruction on the body to center us here, to get us into the present moment. And then for those who are familiar with practice, open it up and you can be mindful of whatever is predominant. You don't have to go looking for anything. In fact, the person I was talking to, we were talking about, uh, you know, what do you do? You know, do you just come back to the body? And, and I said, well, don't do anything for a while and see what shows up in your consciousness because life, aliveness is happening here and mindfulness is to be mindful of what's here and what's predominant. That's one of the key ways to be mindful. And so you can practice sometimes, don't do, you know, get settled, get concentrated or calmed or collected or composed and then don't do anything. 
and see what's, what's here, what's predominant in your experience. And it may be the body, or it might be the breath, or it might be a sensation in your knee, or it might be a sense of floating people have sometimes. Or you might feel like a rock sitting here. Or you might not feel any of that. You might feel an emotion. You might feel sad. Or you might feel angry. Or you might feel irritated. Or you might feel joyful. Or you might feel blissful. And that's, that's what's presenting itself. And so you're mindful of that. Or you might not have any of those feelings. You might be thinking about, you know, your boss and what your boss said yesterday and how are you going to respond to that. Or you might be thinking about the basketball game that the Warriors lost to Oklahoma and how good Oklahoma is and why don't we have that. And then you can be mindful of your thinking, right? Or you might notice you feel very quiet and it's surprisingly quiet because it's unfamiliar. And so you can be aware of quietness or peacefulness. Or you might feel really clear and you're aware, oh, this is clarity. And you're aware of a state of being or state of mind and heart. And all I'm suggesting here is I'm, I'm expanding the usual instruction I give because I don't tend to give a lot of instruction on Sunday nights. Just to say, what we want, a good way to think about mindfulness is getting settled and then opening up and letting reality lead us in the practice of mindfulness. And we can talk about that sometime. I mean, that's an expanded topic. So, so, but, so I added something to the instructions today. I said, pay attention to what makes it difficult to be mindful. Anybody notice that or everybody have an easy time being mindful the whole time? Right, okay, who noticed it? Okay, what made it difficult? Uh, a lot of aversion. Aversion, great. What else? Yeah? Restlessness. What else? Sleepiness. What else? Thought. Thinking. What else? Pardon? Songs? Yeah, so another form of thinking. Songs. Or memory. Songs. Yeah. And don't tell us the name of the songs ever. That's, that's one of the cultural uh, kindnesses when you're in a group of meditators. If you tell them, oh yeah, I thought about this song, then everybody hears that song in the next city. What else made it difficult for you to do to be mindful for forty five minutes? Desire. Desire. Judgment. Judgment. Body sensations. Hard time tracking. Hard time tracking. What were you tracking? I was just kinda like it was very it was kind of like big and indiscreet. Like there was a lot of stuff and you couldn't track it? Yeah, it was like it was like the awareness wasn't... I mean, it was like there were times when the awareness was there, but mostly there was not a lot of like awareness. It was just a lot of like stuff. A lot of stuff. But not a lot of awareness of what the stuff was. Right, but, you, but just so you know, you could be mindful of just a lot of stuff. Right, right, right. I mean, and I was. Okay. I was, but it... Yeah, yeah, comes and goes. Right. 
Got it. Okay, good. So, a form of restlessness, technically, okay. in Buddhism. Okay, so I asked you this because we're going to talk about one of the lists that the Buddha said was really important to pay attention to when you meditate. And I'm going to tell you a number of lists that he gave, but the first list is the five hindrances, the five obscurations, the five difficulties that are normal, that are common, that happen, you know, at the beginning of your practice when you start practicing, and all the way through you work with the five hindrances. And here's some other of the lists that we're going to talk about, maybe tonight, but as we go on. So there's the five hindrances in the fourth foundation of mindfulness, the five aggregates, form, feeling, uh, formation, no, uh, form, feeling, let me see, I can't even remember it now. Form, feeling, perception, formations, and consciousness, right? Like that's, that's all happening right where you're sitting. Form is body, right? So body, feelings, which is Vedana, remember that. In Buddhism, it's always Vedana. It's pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Perception, the perception of reality. Then the formations really means mental formations or reactions. And then consciousness itself. And that's all happening here every moment. Right? And you can start to be mindful of the five. You can start to divide it up in that way to become mindful of it. The five aggregates, the six sense doors. Everybody know what that is? Right? You know, the eye, the ear, the tongue, the nose, the body, and the heart mind. Right? Those are the, the six sense doors um, or six sense spheres. And then the seven factors of awakening, which I'll go into in more detail in a week or two. And then the four noble truths. And those are some of the lists that the Buddha said, oh, these are important. These are ways to start to understand what's happening. And these ways lead to freedom. These are important if you're Buddhist. This is some of what you want to learn in addition to mindfulness in order to practice deeply in the Buddhist tradition. Doesn't mean you have to learn it all tonight or anything like that. Don't even think like that, please, or I'll quit teaching. Because <laughs> I'm not that kind of teacher or practitioner. More, you start with the mindfulness and everything will start to show itself or reveal itself where you'll start to ask questions. Oh, how can I do this? Or here's what's happened that's a problem. I need some help with this. And then they, all these lists start to become more relevant. Because really meditation is training the heart and mind to be concentrated. And again, the word samadhi is a much better word. Concentrated, we have a lot of associations with concentration. I'm not so happy with, but it really means composed or collective or one-pointed or here. Like think of the thing, the thing you love to do. There's something everybody here loves to do, and not the same thing, different things, that where you, you don't get distracted. Like you're really there. And you're not thinking about, you know, the last time or the next time or what happened. You're just there. That mind, you can cultivate that mind 
to be present with anything. And that's a radical assumption. I was talking with somebody in the spiritual, on a retreat I was on this last 10 days, and um, we were, he was talking about, he's a, he likes to do fly fishing. He's not a Buddhist, but he likes to do fly fishing. And he loves it, actually. And he feels like he's just absorbed in the, in the nature and in the action of what he's doing. And so that capacity of mind is possible for all of us to be absorbed in the present moment of the life that is sitting in our seat. And that's a radical understanding of what concentration or samadhi is. Okay? So there is this um, training of the heart and mind to develop this quality of samadhi, of steadfastness, of a kind of openness and present-centeredness that is luminous and free and awake. And that's where mindfulness heads. And that's where the Buddha is pointing in the fourth foundation of mindfulness. Really, the first three foundations, wait a second, the first three foundations are um, part of the bases for the broader capacity or potential of what is available for us as human beings with our hearts and minds. Um, you could try a question, but I might not answer it. What's your question? Um, you said that you can reach that place where the guy's like fly fishing and he's into it, and he's like part of nature through meditation? That no. What you just said? Yeah, yeah, you can, yeah, you can do it through meditation. In other words, you can get absorbed in the present moment without doing anything except being right here. You can get absorbed in that experience of sitting in your seat and, and the, what we might call the inner experience. I don't like the inner and outer so much, but that of, of what, what consciousness is and what life is. You can get absorbed in that and that absorption will begin to reveal the depth of, or the potential of what's here. Okay? Um, let's see, where do I want to go? So, um, so mindfulness. I mean, and even on the most basic level, it's just a little bit learning how to be awake right here, right now. Right? You're being, being mindful of the body and the breath, relaxing a little, not being so worried about all our thoughts and ideas or, you know, whatever it might be, the, all the turmoil or trouble and difficulty of human life on earth, the environment, personally, and our families or our friends or our work, and, but actually just to get here and relax a little bit. Just to be okay here, even for 45 minutes beautiful thing to learn how to do. Just to be here. Because we're just here. And we're not going to be here forever. That is one of the few things I can assure you of. Not in this form. So the first list that the Buddha said was important to pay attention to are the hindrances or the difficulties that arise as one attempts to collect and compose or stabilize the heart and mind in the present moment. And this is normal. It's not 
not something wrong with anybody here. And even the best meditators I know deal with the hindrances. That's, that's part of the life of practice. Excuse me. In some ways I think, oh, it's the building blocks of good practice are the hindrances. Or the bricks and mortars of building the foundation of good practice, the hindrances. And I... Uh, <laughs> I'm feeling inhibited now because I wanted to say I hate the word hindrance. <laughs> I don't like that word because it sounds so negative. And I don't, you know, and yet, you know, I mean, obstacle, difficulty, uh, uh, limitations, uh, uh, complications, you know, that's what happens. But that's part of our life. Like, if you've ever studied anything, Anybody ever study anything and never have a problem at learning it and doing it? Like anybody ever become a musician and never made a mistake? Right? Or did you become whatever you do in your work, in schooling? You know, it's part of life. So, uh, so hindrance, I, I understand what it's pointing at. It's something, but it's just part of the life of learning something and developing it. And so I don't think of it as a bad thing. And that's, you know, I'm, again, I just don't like the idea. I, I want to foreshadow you taking that assumption. Hum, hindrance means bad. It's just part of reality. And, and one of the beauties of mindfulness is learning how to be present in reality. Not in our reality, not in our ideas about reality, not in our beliefs about reality, not in what everybody's told us reality should be, or what you know, or even what the Buddha says reality is. Let's be present in reality, because, and I trust it very much, that will lead to freedom. Because this is it, right? This is it. This was what we will discover reality or or awakening if there is awakening. So. The hindrances, as I said, are the obstacles or the difficulties or, um, uh, or part of any learning that we do or any travel, right? Like everybody, I'm talking to somebody about Bhutan, right? How many people here have been to Bhutan? <laughs> Nobody. One person. Hey, great. I'll talk to you a little later because I want to go to Bhutan. <laughs> oh, two people. Good. I got a lot of people here. <laughs> but so my friend's talking about going to Bhutan, and you know, it's, he had a great time in Bhutan. But it was hard. There were a lot of hindrances, a lot of difficulties, a lot of obstacles. And that's just how it is when you travel, you know. But but still, it doesn't negate the goodness of what's there. It's part of what you're willing to deal with. And, and the better you can deal with it, the better time you'll have during the travel. And the less you, and the more, and the more you think, oh, there won't be any problems, you will suffer more. Right? Everybody got that, right? And it's the same is true in relationship, right? Everybody thinks, oh, I've met the right person. We're never going to have a problem. <laughs> I have never met that person, even though I thought I met that person many times. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, 
It's not that it's even a problem at a certain point. It's just part of reality is we're dealing with the reality of life which has its pluses and minuses. And that's something we're learning about. And mindfulness teaches beautifully how to be present with the way things are. Not the way we want them to be or not the way we think they should be or not the way we demand they should be. But learning how to be present with the way things are is the doorway or one of the gateways to awakening. So, um, and there's a beautiful, there's a quote from Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. He said, difficulties are manure, difficulties are manure for Bodhi. Difficulties are manure for awakening or for enlightenment. They're not a mistake. So, um, so the hindrances. Oh, let me tell you what the hindrances are. How many people don't know what the hindrances are? Let me just see. Okay, most people have an idea. Okay, good. So five hindrances. Let me see. I got to remember what the hindrances are. <laughs> oh yeah, desire, aversion, sleepiness. Restlessness, doubt. Five hindrances. Desire, aversion, sleepiness, restlessness, doubt. How many people here notice that they had desire during the sitting tonight? Okay. How many people notice they had some aversion or dislike of anything during the sitting? Right. <laughs> How many people here were a little sleepy or dull or, yeah, right, good. How many people here were a little restless, a little agitated, a little, yeah, okay, great. How many people doubted why they were here or what they're doing, why doesn't you, yeah, okay, good, great. So we have, we, we were living, we're living with the five hundred. Great, I love that. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Um, how many people notice that these five hindrances arise uh, not just in meditation? Right? Anybody notice that a lot of life uh, gets impacted by our desires? Like that's a very strong uh, uh, area of experience for us as human beings. Uh, how many people know this phrase? I want. <laughs> right? Just let it resonate a little. I want. Let yourself feel that. And, and I mean really, give yourself total permission. Whatever you want. I don't, believe me, I don't care. Um, I've wanted everything. <laughs> I was thinking, as I was thinking about this talk, I was thinking, oh, I could tell him what I used to do when I was young. I thought, oh, no, I shouldn't tell him that. <laughs> you know? Because I've done all the hindrances very thoroughly. Um, <laughs> and so desire is being one of the main hindrances that happens in our life and motivates us. It's not just, oh, it ha I, I want. No, it, it, it impacts our life and how we act, what we do, how we're oriented, when we're happy, when we're not happy. Aversion. How many people notice that during your regular daily life? 
you have a little aversion to your partner, or your friends, or your work, or politics, or the warriors, or whatever it might be, right? That aversion, and what, and the aversion is strong. Aversion is not something that we just notice it, it's no big deal. You know, aversion grows, forms, anger, irritation, frustration, anger, hatred, war, right? All has to do with some kind of aversion. Really, desire and aversion, they're, they're quite related, right? We desire, we want the world to be this way, and we desire or want these people gone. Right? And so all kinds of conflict happens based on desire and aversion. Restlessness, sleepiness, or sloth and torpor, dullness. Every day, right? Every day happens for people. How do we relate to them? What do we do to ameliorate the feelings we don't like having? Coffee, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what you drink when you're restless? No. Oh, no. Yeah, opposite. Yeah, I figured. But, but, you know, so we're taking drugs. Coffee is really a drug. It's one of the legal drugs. And, you know, fine, I wish I could take it, but I can't. I got, I, and this is, I'll give you a warning. It might be because of meditation, but at some point I got too sensitive to caffeine. I can't do it anymore. I can only do it on like 50 mile or 100 mile bike rides. I can have a little chocolate, which I love, but I can't eat chocolate. If I had chocolate right now, I'd be up all night because I'm, I'm more sensitive than I used to be. It's just, it's a plus and a minus, like everything. But, um, um, but, but that's one of the things we do to deal with, you know, sleepiness. Or, and why are we sleeping? That's a really great question. Everybody here sleeping eight hours a night? Or nine, I hope. Which is, of course, I never did for years and years. I'm trying to do it now. Uh, you know, and so we're, we're sleepy because we're not rested in some way. Or we do too much because we're not sensitive to ourselves and what's the, what constitutes well-being. So again, mindfulness means we start to pay attention, we're more sensitive, and then we have the potential to respond more skillfully to the human life that's sitting in our seat. So, desire, aversion, restlessness, sleepiness, doubt. Doubt actually is considered one of the most difficult of the hindrances that because it's really believable. Like you come here and you're a little sleepy or you're a little cranky and I say something and you don't like it and you think, oh, why did I even come? Or, you know, who is this guy? What is this Buddha stuff? Or why do we... It's easy to doubt things. Or, you know, mostly we doubt ourselves. Anybody else have that? You ever doubt yourself? Like what you keep? You doubt your heart? or doubt, doubt your intelligence, or doubt your goodwill. And I don't mean you're perfect. I don't think anybody's perfect, believe me. But, but, you know, we're so much better than we think we are. There's so much more here than we, we, that we usually doubt. 
the goodness of what's here, the beauty of what's here in ourselves and then of course in others. We tend, a lot of us, especially in the modern culture, maybe forever, I don't know, tend to look for what's wrong. And we're more comfortable seeing what's wrong than seeing what's right or what's good in ourselves or other people. So those are, and these are all bigger topics. Believe me, I have talks on each of these I could give if I decide to. We'll see what happens. But, um, but mostly tonight I thought I would talk a little bit about desire because desire is a potent area of uh, life. I hope I have the talk here <laughs> about desire, though. I thought I did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also because our society runs on desire, right? I mean, anybody ever notice? I don't know if any of you ever watch television, but they have commercials. Ever notice that about TV? And do you ever notice that the commercials all say, oh, if you get this, if you buy this, if you have one of these, you'll be happy. That's a, that is a brilliant advertising campaign. You'll be happy if you buy what I'm selling. Trust me on this, okay? Because it's true. If you buy this car, you're going to be happy. If you get the new iPhone, you will be so happy. If you, if you get the computer, it's true for Jennifer, but she has, she has 10 iPhones now, and she keeps believing And then, or, or you know, or whatever it might be. It could be the food, or it could be the what, hostess Twinkies. You will be so happy if you buy this hostess Twinkies. And if they go away, well, you will be really unhappy. <laughs> and so, and it's, what's, what's funny about it is also sad about it. Because all of us believe it somewhere. That something we will buy, something we will give, I want, that's what will make me happy. And, it, and, uh, and it's an interesting question. Maybe it will. Like when I used to give this talk, I, and I thought about this tonight, and I thought I shouldn't do this. My daughter's too old to do this, but I like doing it anyway. When she was little, she's not so little anymore. Um, um, she really, at some point, she got into clothes, right? And you know, she was little when she got into clothes, like eight or nine, or what I call little, and. Uh, and 10 or 11, 12, right around there, that area. Yeah. And she got into clothes, and so, but I was lucky, because she liked um, used clothes. <laughs> so we would go to thrift stores, and we would go to secondhand stores, and you know, I learned a little bit about shopping, which I wasn't so good at. And then she got into this one place in San Francisco that sold, sold clothes by the pound. <laughs> So she would just pile up the clothes on the scale, and I would pay for it, and then we'd go home with a big bag of clothes she bought, and then she would try the clothes on for me, right? Mm -hmm. 
okay, there's a t-shirt, oh good, you know, and then she'd go out, come back, and oh, there's another t-shirt, oh good, it's yellow instead of blue, okay, oh, and then there's this, you know, and then there's a sweater, and then there's some shoes, and then there's, and then she, she's, you know, and I'm like, oh great, you got all those clothes, and then she would get done, and about, couldn't be more than 10, 15 minutes later, she would say, can we go shop again? <laughs> and I'd be like, no, I think we've done our shopping for you know, but but she was the beautiful example of what happens for us. I want, I want, I get, I get, I get, and I want more. I want again. Something more. Because the wanting is very powerful. And somewhere, let me see if I can find out. This is from Upney Reader, 1995, a long time ago. It, uh, it, it shows a, a neon sign that was on a freeway, I think it was New York, and it was flashing this message. Somebody kind of hit, put this on. It said, Protect me from what I want. <laughs> And that's a really interesting idea to start to look at. What do you want? What do you really want? That's the question. Like, what do we want? This first level, you know, I want a Sunday, or I want a steak, or I want a this, or I want a that, and you know, I want an iPhone like Jennifer. Or I want <laughs> You won't live this down for a while. <laughs> and I want, you know, or, or whatever. I, or I want, and then there's other levels of, you know, I want a partner, or I want friends, or I want really good work, or I want to be satisfied in life. Right? There's other levels of wanting. And it's not that the wanting is bad. And, and many of the wants, I'm not, I'm not saying don't do that. You know, do and see. Stay awake as you go for what you want. See what it brings. See where the wanting really brings happiness or satisfaction or uh, awakening or uh, maturation or development or even fun. I mean, fun is great. I want to have some fun. Go have some fun. But see what happens as you stay mindful through the whole thing. Because mostly we think, oh, I just want what I want. And we get it, and we think we're done. And then we're not happy. So what's that? And there's one other piece I want to back up a little further about why the hindrances are important. We don't often pay attention to the mind-heart state of wanting, of desire itself. Right? We just believe it. We just think, oh, we think, oh yeah, I want that. I want that. I desire this. Oh, I shouldn't desire that. We, we either have, some, have a positive or negative judgment about it. Instead of letting ourselves be mindful, stay present, stay awake, to the experience of consciousness that's wanting, that's desiring. That's a very interesting place to stay awake. 
because what it points to is something really important about reality. Um, I thought I had it written down here somewhere. Yeah, somewhere I do, but uh, which is um, shoot, I can't. Which is that samsara? Here, I'll do it in this language. Samsara and nirvana are not separate. Samsara is the world of conventional reality or dukkha. Nirvana is the world of awakening. And we think they're separate. Samsara is the gateway to nirvana, to freedom. And they may not be so different. The, they may, the change may be in us. Not in that we, oh, may not, we could still want things. And the wanting, we can start to pay attention to this quality of experience that everybody here has, which is desire. And not just go act on the desire, not just go, you know, think I gotta get the desire, or I shouldn't get it because it's not right or it's something bad, but actually stay awake, stay mindful to the desire phenomena itself and see what happens. You know, one of the beautiful things about Buddhism is that they talk about skillful and unskillful desire. Buddha had tremendous amount of desire to awaken. No, no doubt about it. He was very clear about this. This is what I want. This is what I'm going for. And he went for it. And it happened. So, so desire. We have a lot of desires. Something else. Something better. And yet, do we, so part of being mindful of the hindrances is being mindful of also the absence of the hindrance. Like, you ever notice what it's like if there's no desire, no aversion, no restlessness, no sleepiness, no doubt? What's that state of mind and heart like? And what's, what happens what, what happens when we stay present when that state of reality or that state of consciousness when it's here and we know that it's the absence of desire or aversion or restlessness, sleepiness or doubt. There's a poem from Ryokan, my Zen teacher from the 17th century. He said, without desire... Without desire, everything is sufficient. Without desire, everything is sufficient. With seeking, myriad things are impoverished. Plain vegetables consume hunger. A patched robe is enough to cover this bent old body. Alone, I hike with a deer. Cheerfully, I sing with village children. The stream under the cliff cleanses my ears. The pine on the mountaintop fills my heart. <coughs> Ryokan, he's pointing to a kind of freedom of not having desire, or not, not ha that's a poor way to put it, excuse me. Not being just attached to our desire, 
or not just thinking desire what leads to freedom. That there may be more to human reality that we already know and can recognize that is satisfying, that is creates or, or, or reveals a sense of well-being that's already here. Without desire, everything is sufficient. With seeking, myriad things are impoverished. Plain vegetables consume hunger. A patch robe is enough to cover this bent old body. Alone I hike with the deer. Cheerfully I sing with village children. The stream under the cliff cleanses my ears. The pine on the mountaintop fills my heart. Beautiful, beautiful Ryokan. If you ever want to see more of his poetry, there's a book called One Road, One Bowl. I believe that's the name. I'm totally losing my memory. <laughs> but that's it. One Road, One Bowl. Beautiful guy, Ryokan. So desire. Desire. And what I like about Buddhism really is that they, and at least the Buddhism I'm teaching is not saying, oh, get rid of desire or don't have wants. It's saying, pay attention to human reality. Human reality is where you wake up. This is a powerful part of human reality. It can lead to freedom and it can lead to dukkha. How many people here don't know what dukkha means? Let me just see. Dukkha. Dukkha means suffering. The, 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 the ordinary translation is suffering. Dukkha. Although it's a very broad word. It's broader than the English word suffering, but it's it's a beautiful word, dukkha. <clears throat> so you can start to pay attention to what do you want? What do you desire? One of the big desires is uh, about things that are pleasant, right? Everybody got that? Like, I want pleasant sights, pleasant sounds, pleasant taste, pleasant touch, pleasant experiences, pleasant people. And, you know, some of us get pleasant by, you know, we, what makes us, we think it's pleasant or unpleasant people. You know, or you know, or tough people, or other. You know, it's not just one one uh, cookie cutter stamp of pleasant. It's a variety of what we find pleasant, um, but it's what we end up desiring or wanting. We seek the pleasant, whatever we consider pleasant or good or pleasurable, and then we avoid the unpleasant, and so we end up. In some way, we end up um, enslaved by what we believe will bring us pleasure. And it's not, you know, and you have to check it out, right? Because, I mean, pleasure is wonderful. I, believe me, I'm not an unpleasurable guy. <laughs> or I like pleasure. Pleasure is beautiful. And, you know, I'm a little like what Mae West said. Mae West, who is the actress in the last century, she said, when choosing between two evils, I always like the one I never tried before. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
I mean, I think people, I think you have to try things, try pleasure, see what's unskillful, and you know, don't, don't do the worst things, please, but, but you know, a lot of times we have a lot of ideas, oh, this is bad, or this is horrible, it's not so bad, it, but it's not so good as we think it's going to be, either. You know, um, but some of us, so some of us have a judgmental attitude towards the pleasant or pleasurable, and some of us are um, totally um, uh, uh, at the mercy of it. Like Oscar Wilde said, he said, I can resist anything but temptation. <laughs> I can appreciate that side of it too, you know, of course. I mean, it's one of the beautiful things. How many people here have never been on a Vipassana retreat, a residential retreat? Let me see. I just want to see. Okay. So, so one of the things that happens on a retreat, you're in silence for, you know, three days, five days, seven days, a week, ten days, two weeks, a month, three months, or longer. With, and it's a group of people, and you're in silence. And, you know, the teachers do the talking and all that stuff. But... You, you only talk when you're getting an interview with the teacher. And otherwise, you're not being social. But one of the things that happens on, on a retreat, and it's, you know, it makes retreats interesting in a, in a conventional way, but is you start to get interested in one or two of the people who are on the retreat. Like, they start to look good to you. Like, you know, you know, oh, look at that one. Oh, she, she, she looks cool. Oh, she's a good meditator. I like her. And then you find yourself kind of doing your walking meditation near where she's walking. Or you, yeah, I think I'm going to move where I'm sitting over to that area. Well, I bet we'd be good friends if we talked. And you start fantasizing. And you start wanting the person. And you start imagining what will happen if you get what you want. Oh, they'll be really smart, or they'll be really creative, or they'll be really hip, or they'll be really ground, whatever it is you think you want. And then, you know, and then of course there's even more you might want than being grounded. <laughs> and you think, oh yeah, we're going to have great sex, or make great love, and then we're going to get married. And, and then, but the, and you, you start having what's called the Vipassana romance. And of course, they don't even know you're alive. <laughs> you know, although you think they're totally thinking the same thing, you're just watching what minds do. Right. And it's, you know, it's half fun and half painful because I've done it plenty of times. But hopefully, I've been the, the object of desire once. <laughs> But it's, it's an important part of being human, desire. Leads to procreation. I mean, that's how we're all got here, right? Everybody know that? <laughs> I just want to be clear. We all got here out of desire. And it's an amazing part of life. And an important part of life to start to relate to and learn about and wake up to. Not just to get rid of. I'm not saying that. It's part of life. So let's see what happens as we start to pay attention not just to what we want, but the experience of wanting itself, of desire itself. Because there's, in, in Buddhism, there's a word, tanha, means craving 
or, or wanting or thirst or desire and that's a common part of human experience it's part of our instinctual nature we're animals anybody not know that? everybody clear about this? we have an animal nature and we want to wake up with the animal nature not by suppressing it not by denying it not by repressing it because that energy fantastic energy phenomenal um, uh, so, so there's the tanha there's the craving the thirst the desire um, and it's often as I said directed out and but it's often um, nourished or, or um, seeded by some sense of loneliness emptiness lostness absence that we're trying to fill and we also if we're being mindful we want to be mindful of all of that and see what happens as we stay awake to what's happening in consciousness what that we like and we don't like and for most people these are unpleasant feeling empty or lonely or, or like we're missing something or we're deficient or we're insufficient in some way and so we're seeking often to fulfill that by getting something from the outside there's another kind of desire that Buddhism recognizes which has to do with um, uh, the desire that's directed towards benefit uh, called chanda which is rooted more in wise reflection, in intelligence, in discrimination, in a kind of uh, uh, wakefulness that sees what's, what is actually here, that has an objectivity to perception of reality. And so here I have a quote from Paiuto, who said, with wisdom and chanda, we no longer see life as a conflict of interests. Instead, we are attempting to harmonize our own interests with those of society and with nature. The conflict of interests becomes a harmony of interests. This is possible because we understand that in the end, a truly beneficial life is only possible when the individual, society, and the environment serve, serve each other. In other words, we perceive the interrelationship of life in all its forms here in this world. And so we're not limited to the single view of me, I, mine, we're not getting rid of that we're not denying that but we're including that in a bigger view in seeing oh yeah there's me there's I there's what I want and then there's oh there's you and you and you and human reality and all the different peoples of the world the different cultures of the world the different religions of the world the different races of the world the different uh, uh, cultural understandings of values of what's important in the world 
and the histories that everybody and one is starting to see the picture of reality in a very full way and harmonizing with that and so the desire is to come into harmony with reality in its totality and then see what happens see what that brings Uh, we have to stop <laughs> so I can come into reality with the time and the end of the evening. So here's, here's the homework for this week. And even if you're not coming back, this is your homework. And I'll be at your house to see what you do. Pay attention to the hindrances this week in your meditation. Don't go looking for them. Notice when there's desire and that's what's strong. Notice when there's aversion or that's what's strong. Notice when there's restlessness or sleepiness or doubt. And if you need a little more, inf more information about any of them, Wikipedia, you can find the five hindrances, I'm sure. There'll be plenty there. And then, so pay attention in your sitting, but pay attention in your life. How does it manifest? Where does desire manifest? Where does aversion manifest? Where does dullness and shut off or cut offness manifest? Where does restlessness and a kind of agitated and an inability to be present manifest? Where does doubt manifest? And not that you have to fix it. You just want to include that in what you're aware of. Okay, let's sit for a minute before we end. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.